Praise the Lord. Isn't it good to be saved? Amen. Hallelujah. Take your Bibles tonight. Turn to Genesis. Genesis. And uh, Genesis chapter number 19. And thank you so much, by the way, for your commitment to being in the church. I think we got more here tonight than we're here last night. And uh, that usually doesn't happen during revival times. But I appreciate that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And can I say thank you to those of you parents that have kids that are school age. And uh, you are a blessing. And I know uh, it gets rough, Revival Week, uh, doing, having to deal with the kids and getting up. We know how it is, trust me. My wife is a school, thank you, school teachers. If you're a school teacher that comes, God bless you here tonight. Because I know how it is. My wife is a school teacher. And uh, it's early mornings, and uh, my wife gets up in the morning, and I just kind of roll over and go back to sleep, but, uh, but uh, God bless her. And, uh, and uh, somebody said one time, they said, I wake, up, I wake up grumpy in the morning, and then he goes right back to sleep. <laughs> but uh, my goodness, but I appreciate you teachers and those of you that work early mornings. Don't you know God's going to honor you? God's going to bless you for what you do. And we tried to bless you, Miss Ida, this afternoon. I've got some fire fries for you. Yeah. <laughs> That's why she was giving me the evil eye earlier. Where's my? No. But uh, we had a chance to go out to the village, and, and uh, the Hiltons graciously hosted us. And, and uh, then he wouldn't let me pay for the fire fries, and uh, we appreciate them. And I said, I've never been treated so well by the Hiltons before. <laughs> they did let me stay in their hotels a time or two, but... Uh, and uh, you got to be careful with the Hiltons, though. And uh, these are the right kind of Hiltons, so I appreciate them. And, and we were able to have lunch with them and Miss Flo, and it's just a blessing to be able to be amongst the people of God. And I'm going to tell you, I, I don't know if you know this or you notice this, I love church. I mean, like, I don't just like church. Now, I like it, but I love church. And it's not just because of you, you, you here. I love it because this is God and it's the family of God. And man, God's here and God begins to show up. I like it when I hear a choir special and half the people in the choir are wiping tears out of their eyes. I love it. I, I can't stand dead religion. Listen, they, they had a, you heard about the man that had a heart attack at the Baptist church? I mean, it was, it was, it was one of those high dead churches. And that one fella had a heart attack. They called the ambulance, and the, the paramedics took out 15 guys before they figured out the one who had a heart attack. <laughs> Spurgeon said most Baptists would, would, would make good martyrs. He said they're so dry they would burn really good. <laughs> sometimes people in church, uh, well, I heard one fella say, sometimes people in church, their faces are so long, you can throw them out the window and use them for a fire escape. But may it not be so here. I'm glad that the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I'm going to tell you why some of you are doing very weak and poorly as a Christian. is because you've not learned to enjoy the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Listen, uh, 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 Psalm chapter 100 uh, Oh, my goodness. Make a joyful, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Come before his presence. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. And I will enter his courts with praise. I will say, this is the day hath the Lord hath made. I will rejoice for he hath made me glad. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion. And everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation uh, is the whole earth. Is Mount, uh, for the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy, who is worthy. Did you hear that tonight? Who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. The Lord liveth and blessed be my rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. There's something about the joy of the Lord. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. And shout unto God with a voice of triumph. 
There's something about rejoicing. And you keep that. And this church has the rejoicing spirit. And that's why I love coming back here. Because there is a spirit of rejoicing. There is a spirit of worship. And I'm, I'm not here to preach on this tonight. I'm here to exhort you in this tonight. Don't ever lose your spirit of worship in this church. And I thank the Lord for your pastor because he realizes that worship is something we do on purpose. It's not a byproduct of what we do. It's everything that what we do. When you look into the Old Testament, you begin to look at how much they worship God in that temple, you will start to understand the spirit of worship. I'm talking about there's 125,000 trumpeters. You hear that? There are tens of thousands of singers. There are tens of thousands of players on instruments. There's even people with timbrels, God forbid. I love to get most Baptist in Psalm chapter 150. Praise him upon the high sounding sensum. Praise him with the timbrel and the harp. Praise, uh, excuse me, with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and with the dance. That's get, that gets Baptists real nervous when you say, when you quote that verse, praising him with the timbrel and the dance. Mm. That's going to be on YouTube somewhere, preacher. There was a young man here a couple years ago, and I saw him down at the altar down here, and he was, he was doing like this. I mean, he was doing like that. It was crazy. And I said, what in the world? I asked his mom and dad, I said, what in the world is he doing down there? And I forgot that the day before I said this. I said, man, it's so good in church tonight. I might dance when it gets all over with. So when I asked him what he was doing, he said, Brother Allen, he's over there practicing because he said, if you dance, he's dancing with you. I'd love to do it just to see three Baptists have a heart attack during church. <laughs> Praise him with the timbrel and with the dance. Listen, there's going to be enough hard preaching coming in about five minutes, or you're going to wish I was talking about praising him with the timbrel and dance. You're going to be doing the moonwalk right out of the building right there. That's for you spiritual people in here. Genesis chapter 19. Don't you love church? Man. Woo, I love church. I love... Man, anyways, I better get off of church, but I love it. Did y'all tell y'all I love church? Anyways, Genesis chapter 19. Really seeking the Lord and what to preach tonight. And oftentimes God, right away, he just reveals. I mean, I've been, I've been where six months ahead where God told me what I was going to preach. I was at the summit preaching about toiling all night and catching nothing. It was like six months ahead of time, I knew that's what I was going to preach. And nothing about it, and I wasn't nervous at all. I just thought, this is what the Lord has for us. And I toiled a little bit about this, but I believe this is the message God has for us here tonight. The Bible says in Genesis chapter uh, number 19, verse number 12, The men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides? Son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city, Bring them out of this place. What place is he talking about? Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot, as a matter of fact, he has become somewhat of a leader in Sodom and Gomorrah. So much so that he is in the place of prominence within the gate of Sodom. But the Bible says their cry of their wickedness had come up before God. And here Abraham now begins to plead with God in the chapters prior to this and says, God, will you, go to, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And God begins to make a deal with him. And he says, okay, if there's 10 righteous people at the end of this deal, then I'd be glad to spare the city. And God, of course, knows that there are not 10 righteous people. So what does God do? Listen to me. What does God do? Before the judgment ever comes, he pulls his people out. Listen to me now. Before the judgment ever comes, he sends, he pulls his people out. That is always the pattern of God. Before judgment, he always pulls his people out and there's always a gap. He pulls them out. There's a slight gap. And then the judgment comes later. Are you with me now? It's a deep Bible truth. We believe in the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. God's principles are always, he's knocking on the door of the church in Genesis chapter 3, and then all of a sudden nobody answers. Genesis chapter 4, there's a space right there. We don't know how long that is, but all of a sudden I heard the sound of words of a trumpet talking to me saying, come up hither, and that's the end of the church age. 
In Noah's time, God shut the door. There was a little bit of a pause there. And then they, they, they were raptured out of there, if you will. And then the wrath came upon man. We understand that this is the principle of God. God did the same thing in the city of Jericho. God's principle, God's pattern is always take his people out. And so like the pattern of God, God begins to send angels to go get Lot and his family. And those angels come to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and they begin looking for Lot. And Lot says, all right, uh, I want you fellas coming to my house. And they begin to meet with him. And the Bible says... They tell him, get your people out of here. Verse 13, for the Lord will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord and the Lord sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and he spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters and said, up, get you out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. But I want you to pay attention to what they say to him. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. And when the morning arose, the angel hastened Lot, saying, Arise and take thy wife and thy daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. Could you imagine? You've got young people. You've got family. And all of a sudden, the Lord pronounces a judgment on your city, a judgment not only on your city, but on the next city. Not only on the next city, but if you read the Bible, that entire plain was going to be roasted. And he begins to talk about what's going to happen to these fields here. And they say, Lot, you got to get out of here. But before you get out of here, Lot, we're going to give you a chance. We want you to go to your family and want you to give them a warning. And isn't that just natural? By the way, the true mark of a saved person is they want to see other people get saved. You notice when Andrew found Jesus, he said, hey, come see him. We found him. We found the Messiah. And time after time when somebody met Jesus, it was always, hey, remember that woman at the well? Come see a man who told me everything ever I had done. Is not this the Christ? And the Bible says many believed on him because of that woman's words. There's the mark of a saved person is always they want somebody else to be saved. When Philemon got saved, uh, he was rejoicing. And even when he heard that his former slave and indentured servant got saved, and Paul said, I want you to receive him as a brother. As far as we know, he began to receive him. Why? Because he wanted somebody else to get saved. And Lot heard that pronounced judgment. And all of a sudden he says, listen, family goes to his son in law, sons-in-law and he says, listen, sons-in-law, there's about to be a judgment that comes here. God is going to judge. And if he were alive today, maybe he'd have one of those signs that says, turn or burn. Have faith or fry. But we know he begins to warn them and say, listen, there's a judgment that's coming. There's something down the road. You got to beware. We got we to get up and wake up and, and get out of here. And the Bible says... He seemed as one that mocked. Now, I don't know what their relationship was like. I don't know how deep Lot was involved in the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. But if I were Lot, no matter how deep I was, there would probably be an urgency in my voice. There would probably be something in my voice that you had never heard before. You understand what I'm talking about? Those of you parents, you've ever had something where your kid's about to walk into the street. You're not, now, now Johnny, now, now Johnny, there's a truck coming. Your kids would hear a volume come out of you, hopefully. They would hear a volume come out of your mouth like they have never heard before. They would experience an intensity like they had never, Johnny! Well, I scared about three kids, right? <laughs> like, we never heard Brother Allen scream like that before. But isn't that the truth? 
And yet here he is in the midst of warning his family. Say, look tonight. He, and they, the Bible says he seemed like one that mocked him. They thought he was telling a joke. What must have been going on in his life for him to be warning them with the most intense voice he ever heard and they still look at him as if he's a joke? And we know the rest of the story, don't we? Begins to leave Sodom and Gomorrah. They get over there in Zohar. The Bible says the fire and brimstone began to be falling from the sky. And Lot loses an entire generation of his family. By the grace of God and with his help tonight, I want to preach to you on that. Losing a generation. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight from your scriptures. For we thank you, Lord, for the spirit that has been in this place. Without a doubt, we'll know, Lord, we have been revived. And we'll leave this place because you have and you are here. And we pray that your spirit would rest heavy on this service here tonight. I pray that your son would be exalted, your word would be magnified, and decision amongst your people would be made. Lord, I even pray if there's one here tonight that does not know for sure that if they were to die right now, they'd go to heaven. I pray that Holy Spirit conviction would be all over them, that they would not be able to rest until they are born again by your grace. Meet with us here tonight. Help me as I preach and them as they listen. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. As I look at churches and traveling extensively across the United States of America and very limited these days in the country of Canada and matter of fact, in three weeks, I'll be in the nation of the Bahamas and I've had a privilege to preach in the Philippines and, and in Haiti as well. And, and there's something about it that all of us are noticing it seems like we're losing a generation. Everywhere I go, as a matter of fact, Pastor Fury, literally every Bible college I know is struggling to maintain or to get students to replace the ones that they're losing right now. There are how many pulpits, and your pastor is very knowledgeable about this, and I've heard him speak in other places about the need for uh, Canadian pastors and how many, pa how many pulpits right now are vacant in this nation. There is an alarming trend, even amongst our American uh, churches, that it, it's amazing how many of them are having to merge or churches are having to fold. Uh, there are some right now that I used to preach in year after year after year that are folding and going under or they're merging with another church because they can no longer support. Uh, now it's a few uh, gray hairs in the church and there's nothing wrong with that. I love uh, gray-haired saints in the house of God, but I'm going to tell you, uh, there, there needs to be some youth there. There's got to be somebody coming along to replace us. There's got to be another generation that is coming along to help us to continue in the work of God. And I'm telling you, everywhere I go, seems like we're all struggling to get that next generation. And by the way, it's not exclusive to the church. I can't tell you how many farmers that I know in the United States, I've prayed with some of them. Some are beef farmers, and some of them farm other types of cattle, and some are sheep farmers, and some raise corn and other things, but it's hard to get the kids to begin to follow in their footsteps, and we begin to lose a generation of people. It's not exclusive to the church. It's not even exclusive to Christendom. It's not even exclusive to certain ethnicities and cultures. Many of us today, we are worried about our children, and I, just like uh, especially immigrant children, those that we're starting to lose our culture. And mom and dad try to keep it alive as best they can. And I know there's some Dutchmen in this church right here and, and some people from Ireland here and, and uh, from Britain, and, and there are natives in the church here. But no matter what culture you are, you can stand and testify tonight. They are all worried about a generation coming up that don't know the traditions. Many of them don't know the languages. Some of them in my country, in your country, were even forced to abandon their languages and forced to abandon their cultures. Why? Because the enemy knew that if I can get that next generation, 
we've won the victory. And don't you know that Satan knows that tonight? Don't you know that Satan knows if he can get the next generation of Bethel Baptist Church, if he can get the next generation of your family, and he can get my family, I'm going to tell you right now, if they get us down there in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, what's going to happen is 20 years from now, there'll be no Bethel. There'll be no Faith Baptist Church. There'll be no evangelists. There'll be no pastors out here. There's something's got to happen before we lose a generation. I have watched the death spiral in many churches. I have preached in some churches where I'm looking out and I'm saying, in 10 years, there will be no church here. And I'm not trying to be negative tonight. It's just a reality. This is like a doctor checkup. If you don't get checkup, listen, if I got cancer, I want to know. It's not friendly. It's not pleasant to find out. But if I have it in my body, I want to know that it's there. And I want to be able to get some help from it. And I'm saying to the Independent Baptist Church at large, uh, to the fundamentalist type churches at large, listen, if something doesn't happen, we're going to lose a generation. And with the help of God, I want to be a help to you on that tonight. What caused Lot to lose a generation of his family? Would you turn back with me to Genesis chapter 13? I've got several points here tonight. And much like last night, listen, I'm going to hit the ground running. So you better have your fast ears on tonight. Genesis chapter 13. The coat's coming off earlier than normal, all right? We got to hit the ground running, Brother Fury. Watch this tonight. I want you to notice the first thing in Genesis chapter 13. I want you to notice Lot's first problem was this. The Bible says, and if you look at uh, Genesis chapter 13 and verse number 10, the Bible says this, and Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, and it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It's already given a premonition of what's going to happen there, even as the garden of the Lord. Like the land of Egypt when thou comest unto Zoar. Listen to me. I want you to notice tonight the reason why they lost a generation number one. Because of the places that he looked. The places that he looked. Lot was so focused on everything except for what he should have been focused on. You listen to me tonight. Lot, the Bible says, he began to have a problem. And his herdsmen began to clash with the herdsmen of Abraham. And Abraham said, I'll tell you what, Lot. If you go this way, I'll go that way. You go that way, I'll go that way. He said, I just, I just want some peace on here. And the Bible says that Lot begins to look around. And he looks over there at the well-watered plains of Jordan. Doesn't matter that the Sodomites are there. Doesn't matter what the strange flesh is. There doesn't matter where the cry has gone up to heaven, all that mattered to him was what he looked at, what he saw as selfishly beneficial. And you listen to me today, church, we've got to make sure that our focus is on things that ought to be focused on. Listen to me tonight, it's all about the gospel, it's all about the Jesus Christ, it's all about worshiping Him, it's all about the things of God and the Word of God. I'm gonna tell you tonight, we'll lose a generation no faster than we get our eyes on the wrong places. Lot said, Oh, it looks pretty good over there. As a matter of fact, he said, that looks like Eden over there. It looks like that place over there. Do you know sometimes thing, all that glitters is not gold? You ever heard that expression before? All that glitters is not gold. Can I tell you something, mom and dad? What may seem like a good decision to you at the time, what may seem like it's going to make your life more convenient at this time right now, it may be the worst decision you have ever made in your life. Can I tell you tonight, we better be careful where we're looking to. How many times have I seen a mom and dad or somebody else make a decision based upon a job or based upon a career somewhere? And, they, you, don't, and you ask them, hey, if you're going to move over there, where's there a good church over there? And they say, well, I don't really know. You don't really know? Are you telling me you're looking towards Sodom and Gomorrah? You're looking at the well-watered plains and you don't even know if there's a church there? I'm saying he lost a generation because he was so focused on the well-watered plains of Jordan that his family literally died of thirst because of things of God. 
I'm saying there's some people that may be in here right now and you're about to make some decisions and listen to me. You have no idea where your family is going to end up based upon the decisions that you made just because you're a little bit thirsty, just because you're a little bit hungry, just because that field over there looks a little bit more attractive. Listen to me tonight. Uh, Parents, you listen to me well. You say, I'll just find another church. Listen to me. You may be looking at another church and may look like well-watered plains, but I'm going to tell you, it may be filled with a bunch of sodomites uh, and it's going to cost you your family. We better be careful where we're looking tonight. We better be careful when we look at the new evangelical crowd and they seem like they're getting the bigger and better crowds. And in our area, there's a church about 2,000 down the street from our church and they just changed the name of their church from such and such a church to just discovery. And they got everything and it seems like they're growing. Listen, we never even talk about them. We don't even mention them. We're not there to criticize them. But what I'm telling you is this. There are some Christians looking around and say, boy, if we just change this and if we don't talk about sin and if we don't talk about hell and if we don't talk about repent, then we can get a whole crowd. Well, listen to me tonight. You may get a crowd and those well-watered plains may feed your crops for a little while. But I'm going to tell you, it may cost you the next generation. There are some looking to other Bibles tonight, and they're looking like, oh, it's well-watered plains. Man, listen to me. I'm going to stick with the old black book here tonight uh, because it's where I found my water, and it's it's been feeding my soul for over 30 years of a born-again Christian. That King James Bible has fed my soul. It has been sufficient for everything that I needed. And here's what's going to happen. I talked to another preacher, and here's what I said. I said, the fact of the matter is things that are different are not the same. Watch this. Because you know Bible doctrines, you're going to be fine. When the next generation reads it, without the foundation that you have, you might lose a generation. And listen, I could call names of some of the most famous expositors in the United States right now. They read their books. They've got television programs. And their kids are God-cursing heathens. I'm not, I didn't say backslidden. I didn't say they're just out of church. Listen to me now. I'm talking about diametrically opposed to Jesus Christ. Listen to me. And I'm not trying to blame every parent. Listen, my kids could go to the devil tomorrow and they probably, (laughs) knowing their mother, no, you know me, they probably will. My wife will get that back to me. And uh, they might be too. My my son's tried to listen in last night. He said, said, I I tried to listen in. I couldn't find a feed. Scratch that off the tape. (laughs) But watch this. We better be careful. Like I said last night, your kids are your circus and your monkeys. What happens in the next generation? I want to do everything I can. Listen, they might cross the plains and go over to Sodom themselves, but they're not going to go there because daddy took them there. Are we listening tonight? Did you see hear that? They might go over there themselves, but they're not going to go over there. They're not going to end up in Moab because Naomi and Elimelech took them over to Moab. They may cross the river themselves, but that's on them tonight. And I'm saying if you and I want to spare a generation, we better be careful about the places we look. Listen to me. When you make money, you're God at home. Listen to me. When you make money, you're God at home. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with having money. Somebody say amen right there. There is something wrong if money has you. Let me say that again tonight. There is absolutely nothing wrong. The Bible says the hand of the Lord, it maketh rich and he addeth no, the blessing of the Lord, excuse me, it maketh rich and he addeth no sorrow to it. The Bible talks about our burn bursting forth with new wine. I believe that. I believe God prospers people. But watch this. There is something wrong when money has you. And because some of us parents, we look so high and at the mighty dollar, some of our kids are not surrendering to ministry and surrendering to do the things of God because of where we looked. And we lift up money and we lift up prosperity and we look up comfort and all of a sudden we wonder why nobody's going to the mission field and all of a sudden we wonder why these pulpits are empty in our nation and we wonder why what's going on. It may be because of the places that we looked. Not only that, watch this. Take a look at chapter 13 and verse 11. Not only the places he looked, but number two, the perspective he lost. The perspective he lost. Look at chapter 13 and verse number 11. 
The Bible says that Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves from one another. He separates from Abraham, and Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But watch this. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Isn't it amazing? As soon as he parted ways with Abraham, he made a beeline for the wicked. You say, why was this? Because as long as he was with Abraham, everything was great. And I'm going to tell you, what's killing some of us is as long as we're with the pastor, we're okay. But we don't have any spirituality of our own. And I tell you, mom and dad, the greatest thing you could ever do for your kids is have a spiritual walk of your own. The greatest thing your kids could know. Listen, mom and dad, I'm telling you right now, it may seem like they're fighting against you. It may seem like they're not for anything you're doing right now. But can I tell you for the future's sake, the greatest thing you could do is keep reading that book. The greatest thing you could do is stay on your knees and keep praying. The greatest thing you could do is keep calling their name out to God. Why? Because there may come a day when they need to get back to God. And listen to me, if you as the prodigal parents have moved the farm, where in the world are they going to come back to? What kind of perspective are they going to have? Mom and dad, listen to me tonight. You are doing the right thing. God's got your back. The grace of God is going to sustain you. And don't you lose your perspective while the next generation might be going out doing their own thing. But if you've got that generation at home, watch me, parents. Don't lose your perspective. Lot suffered because of the places that he looked and the perspective that he lost. Don't be so tied to a man. Don't be so tied to a personality. Don't be so tied to your favorite preacher that you forget the God of the one he's preaching about. And sometimes it's easier to get connected with Christians than it is to get connected with Christ. And if you don't get connected to Christ, listen to me, Christians will fail you. Men will disappoint you. I've got two friends that within this last year had to resign their ministries because of immorality. Listen to me tonight. My faith has found a resting place. And listen, and not in device or creed, it is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Listen, stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus. Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy lean on Jesus' name. Listen to me tonight. Don't lose perspective. Just because you parted with Abraham, don't lose perspective. You're going to lose a generation. The greatest way to keep a generation, mom and dad, is you keep your eyes. Oh, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. He lost a generation because of the perspective that he lost. I wonder what would have happened had Lot said, you know, I know our herdsmen are having a problem, but I got to stay by Abraham. And not only do I stay by Abraham, I want the God of Abraham. And I want the prayer life of Abraham. And I want the word of God that Abraham had in his soul. I said the places that he looked, the perspective that he lost. Watch this. Can I get that napkin right there, Brother Jason? Watch this, number three, the purity that he left. The purity that he left. Thank you. The purity that he left. Listen, mom and dad, this is the very essence of revival. Revival is us allowing the spirit of God to come in and begin to remove some things that shouldn't be there. Do you know why we need one every year, though? Because we're all prone to wander. We are all prone to begin to accept things that we would have never accepted. And listen to me, parents. All of a sudden, well, one profane word, that's not that bad, is it? After all, it's a war movie. So one bad word is not that bad. Come on now. Then all of a sudden, it's, it's two or three, isn't it? Well, you're not using the, the, the big ones. And then all of a sudden, one of the big ones comes out. And you're like, well, they only used it once. 
I had some parents that were a part of our church and school. And they're having some some issues amongst their young people. Listen to me now. I'm not being kind, unkind to them. They had some issues among their young people, and it was way deeper than we ever knew. We were were just dealing with some of the surface things we were able to see. And I met with them, and I said, well, why, why are you allowing that to happen? And I said, those two young people are way too friendly to each other. And we got to get a handle on it. And, it. and here's what they said to me. Watch this. Here's what they said to me. Well, they're just comfortable with each other. Oh, we found out later they were real comfortable with each other. Listen to me, parents. When we begin to allow impure things into our homes, you're about to lose another generation. And by the way, mom and dad, that's your home. And it is your duty to keep your home. They might sneak something in there, but hey, when they're celebrating satanic music in front of you, something's wrong somewhere. And you may try to pacify their sin for as long as you can, but I'm telling you tonight, it will not work. That sword that you are allowing them to sharpen of worldliness is one day going to plunge straight into your heart. And you and I, listen to me, I know how it is as a parent, there's always something trying to get into the house, isn't there? There's always, whether it's some music or whether it's some, some, somebody that they've been watching on TV, some, some actor that's out there, or some actress that's out there, or whether it's some friend, and my oh my, that could be the most dangerous thing sometimes. And sometimes you think they got the right friends and they're in church. But I'm telling you, parents, we've got to stand on guard. If we're going to keep a generation to today, we've got to stand on guard. And we've got to say, not here. I don't want to lose my perspective and, and lose the purity that we have in our home. You need to fight for that home. But Lot said, I don't care what kind of wickedness we endure. Watch this. Not only the places he looked, the perspective that he lost, the purity he left. Watch this. The people that he loved. Go back to chapter 19. I want you to see this. Chapter 19, boy, we're moving along greatly. The Bible says, chapter 19, verse number four, but before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both young and old, both old and young, excuse me, and all the people from every quarter. Can you picture it? These two angels come to the house, and all of a sudden, these bunch of Sodomites find out where they are. The Bible says, and they called unto Lot and said unto him, where are the men which came in to thee tonight, this night? Bring them out to us that we may know them. And I'll I'll just forego the vulgarity of that statement, but all of us adults in here, we we understand what they're trying to say here. Bring us out that we may know them. And aren't we just about here amongst the immoral people in in our countries today? There is an aggressiveness to the immorality in our country right now. Much like the lady in Proverbs, lady, I use that term loosely right there. Much like the whore that's mentioned in Proverbs chapter 7, the Bible says when she saw that young man, that next generation, the Bible says she caught him and kissed him with an impudent face. She began to make the plea for him to come lay with her. Listen to me. When we begin to have aggressive aggression in our women instead of femininity, we are headed for some trouble. And these men became aggressive. And they said, bring them out that we may know them. Look at verse number six, though. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after them and said, I pray you. What's this next word? And I say this very quickly here tonight. You better be careful who you call brethren. And there's some of us that are calling people our brethren that should never be called our brethren. When your entire focus and lifestyle is based upon a sin, listen to me tonight, you are not my brethren. I'm not unkind. I hope you get saved. I hope you get right with the Lord if you are. Uh, say, hey, listen, but I'm not going to sit. Lot's problem was the people that he loved. Lot had developed an affinity for these people. 
He no longer was the salt of the earth. Like Jesus said, if salt hath lost its savor, it's good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of man. Why? Because it's lost its usefulness. Can I say to you tonight, Christian, if you have lost your usefulness, uh, the Bible says, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you unto myself, and ye shall be sons, and I'll be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. Listen to me tonight. We better careful who we call. All brethren. Guess who my brothers are? My brothers are those that believe in grace through faith and salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Those are my brothers. I'm not trying to be unkind to anybody. I will witness to anybody. I will talk to anybody. Nobody can rise up that's a different religion than me or a different sexual orientation than me. None of them can rise up and say one time that I have ever treated them with an unkind spirit. I've never said an unkind word tonight, but I'm telling you, they are not my brethren. You know why? Because I don't want my kids accepting the lifestyle of the sodomites. And I'm, here are lots of daughters watching him call these men brethren and don't you know all of his other kids and son-in-laws they saw lot sitting in the gate yucking it up with all the sodomites listen to me tonight parents we better be careful who we embrace i didn't say be unkind but we better be, the Bible says, can two walk together? Amos chapter three and verse number three, can two walk together except they be agreed? And I'm telling you, some of us are losing our generations that are following us. Some of you older teenagers, the reason why you are losing those younger generation even under you right now is because you will not separate unto Christ. And we're gonna lose a generation because of the people that we love. Listen. There's not a Hollywood actor I love more than the will of God. Amen. There's not a worldly musician that I love more than the will of God and seeing my kids do what's right. I, tell, I have to listen to me. I have to tell my kids all the time. There's nothing wrong with looking to a player that may play. Listen, I enjoy Giannis Antetokounmpo, however you say his last name. That's a Milwaukee Bucks basketball player. I love it. Matter of fact, we were walking home one night from a Mexican restaurant Praise God on that. But uh, we're walking home, and this fella, he was, he was a drunk fella. He was sitting on the bench somewhere, and looking up, he thought my son was Giannis. I thought, it, well, at least, you know, give us some money. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, I tell my kids all the time, listen, there is nothing wrong with watching those guys and having appreciation for those guys, but watch me now. There is something wrong with worshiping them like an idol. And some of us, we've allowed a generation or two to come along and have Michael Jordan. Listen to me. I can appreciate Michael Jordan's skills, but Michael Jordan is a drunkard and Michael Jordan is a gambler. And Michael Jordan is a man that doesn't care about faithfulness to a wife. And Michael Jordan has kids here, there, and a little bit of everywhere. Michael Jordan, listen to me tonight. And he's got nothing spiritual going on in his life. And I hope he does get saved. But I don't want my kids to think that Michael Jordan is our brother. got to be careful, parents, that we ourselves are not idolizing the world. Look at this tonight. Not only the people that he loved, the promptness that he lacked. Look at verse 15. And when the morning arose, the angels hastened Lot. And look at this, verse 16. And while he lingered. Now watch this. You would think... Somewhere in this story, there would start to be an urgency, right? You would think somewhere in here, Lot's like, man, we got to go. Hey, kids, get up. We got to go. Hey, honey, let's go, baby. Are the bags packed? Is the dog's kibble bits? I mean, are they in there? Is the cat? Well, leave the cat. But as, hey, we know all dogs go to heaven. Cats go in another direction. We already know that. Oh, I'm sorry. I did get you fire fries, though. All right. Does that make up? Okay, all right. And, uh, see, we'll sacrifice the cat for some fire fries. I got it now. Watch me. You would think there's some urgency. Now, listen to me. Don't miss this point tonight. The lack of urgency in God's people sure. is petrifying to me. Oh, yes. It's petrifying. There's no urgency amongst his people. I'm saying 
Some of us parents tonight ought to to not even wait to the end of this message and say, dear Lord, my kids are in danger right now. We got to do something. I'm telling you tonight, some of us, we ought to have been urgent five years ago. Listen to me tonight. And I know sometimes it'll take you by surprise, but some of us, we're looking at things in our kids' lives right now. And let's get urgent about it. Let's get on our knees about it. Let's pray about it. You say, man, all this trouble in the church. Okay, let's get urgent about it. Let's see if there's bus routes and, and Sunday schools to be started and children's ministries going on. And listen, we need it in Canada now more than ever. Where is the urgent? I cannot imagine what you do going and trying to get some of these pulpits filled and things like that. And you're trying to share the burden with us as Americans. And I'm thinking, where's the urgency amongst your people? And I'm not saying that it's not. I'm just saying my carnal mind says, because I notice it in America. There's no urgency. As far as I know, my, my oldest son says, man, he says, dad, he, he believes God wants him to preach, but he, he doesn't believe God wants him in the ministry. And he's like, man, I kind of wish he would call me in the ministry. Like, I don't, I, and, he, and he loves to preach. He loves it. Youth group, anytime he can get in there to preach, I mean, he's like, let's go. And I can't understand a generation of men who some of them say God wants him in ministry, and they're over here in the tulip somewhere. There's no urgency. Can I ask you? Do you believe in hell? Do you believe like in Lot's day, there is a, there is a coming fire? Sure. Then why do we lack urgency? We never pass out a tract. We dodge visitation like it's a, co- like it's a conference on how to contact leprosy. We don't get involved in the bus ministry either by giving or by going. We don't support mission. Is there no urgency in us? Is there nothing that moves you? Is there anything beyond your self-interest or money or comfort? Is there any? Lot should have been, listen, he should have been grabbing everything and everybody he could. We got to go. No urgency. Watch this. I believe many times our lack of urgency is saying to another generation, we don't really believe all this stuff. There it is. And why should they take it seriously when we have no sense of urgency? Why should they surrender to go to the mission field when we're like, ah, missions conference is here. saying he lost a generation. Where's our urgency for revival? And I'm not, I'm not saying your church does. I'm just, I'm just generally saying this. Is there anything in your soul that says, man, my family's got to have revival? Do you know what we do? And I, you don't have to do this. I'm just telling you. I, I became so concerned about my family because I don't want to be like other vineyards have I kept, my own vineyard haven't I kept. And listen, and like, like I said, man, I know it's a struggle as a parent. So here's what I did. I said, man, we got we to gotta connect spiritually as a family and we got to stay connected. So here's what we do. Every Sunday night, these fellas can attest to it. Every Sunday night, my family, we get up. I get up. My wife gets up. My son, Jaden, who's by us, he gets up. My son, Aaron, I can see him. He's always, boop, look over his shoulder. Mom and dad's getting up, and he's meeting us. We're coming from over here. He's over here on the second row. My son, Dylan, is on this side on the front row. They both go, and then they meet us by the time we get here, and we as a family kneel and pray every Sunday night. Now, I don't make them go any other service. If God deals with them, he deals with them. But I, I, there's an urgency in me. I want my kids, number one, to be used to coming to the altar. I want them, number two, to understand there's some important things we've got to deal with down here. And sometimes there's some things we've got to repent of as a family down here. And there's some things we've got to lay down. But guess what? We're not just ho-humming it through the Christian life. We're going to live for God on purpose. 
Now, you may not, it may not be an altar here. It may be in the living room of your house. It may be in the dining room somewhere. It may be in the family room of your house. Listen to me tonight. But there has to be somewhere. There's got to be an urgency that returns to our Christian homes again. Next. The punishment that loomed. We know about this, don't we? They told him, listen. Verse number 17. We're going to destroy this land. It's coming. Verse number, verse number 24, listen, the Lord rained fire upon Sodom and Gomorrah, and the brimstone fell, and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Hey, listen, it's going to happen. Number seven, the partner he lamented. The partner he lamented. Watch this. Very quickly here tonight, we're almost completely, we're out of time. Verse 25, they're burned to the ground. But verse 26, his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of what? Salt. Now watch this. Because Lot was not the leader he was supposed to be, the entire generation back there suffered. And now the one that was supposed to walk hand in hand, side by side, for the rest of his life. The Bible said, told him, he said, don't look back. He didn't tell him what was going to happen, but he said, don't look back. Don't look back. And then all of a sudden, they're walking. And I'm sure Lot went a few steps on and he noticed. No. And he couldn't look back himself. Honey! Honey! Listen to me. Some of you are going to look back one day. And everybody that should have been with you is gone. And Satan has had his way. Now watch this. Of all the preaching I've ever heard on Lot's wife... I want you to understand something about that woman. She was a mother. And what would you do? I don't, I don't blame Lot's wife. What would you do if you knew your children were dying back there? And you could hear screams that could potentially be your children. What would you do? Can I say to you, I have more respect for Lot's wife than I do Lot. Because she at least had some concern. I've heard people preach all my life that she wanted her stuff. I don't believe that. I believe that she, as any mother would, said, oh, dear God, can I beg you mothers tonight? Don't wait till it's too late to turn around and get your kids. Did you hear me tonight? If daddy's not going to be what he needs to be or somebody else isn't what they ought to be in life and men, same thing with your wife. Listen, don't you wait on them. You get urgency right now. Don't wait for somebody else to care. You care before it's too late. And he lost his partner. And then watch this. Here's what ends up being his final posterity. He had a posterity of liars. That's the last point. Here his daughters come back and his daughters think because they don't know God, because daddy didn't know God, his daughters think everybody's been destroyed. His daughter says there's not even a man amongst all the earth. What are we going to do? And so here's what they said we're going to do. We're going to trick dad. You go give dad wine. You go into him one night. I'll go in him the next. And by the way, you say, man, that's pretty wicked. Listen to me. That is pretty wicked. And it ought to make you want to vomit. But it's the same man that they just 20 verses earlier heard them say, here's my girls, their version. Do with them anything you want to do with them. No wonder they're perverts. 
And some of us, we, we say that about Lot, but we, we cut on the television set and cut on the cable and tell our cable to do anything with our kids that they want to do. We send them off to the movie theater and say, do with what you want to do. Thank you for being so quiet tonight. That's what we do, though, isn't it? We cut them loose on the Internet and say to the Internet, do what you want to do, have your way with my kids. And guess what? You're going to end up with a posterity full of liars. They're going to play a game and they're going to pierce. You know what came out of that relationship? The oldest daughter, she had a little baby named Moab. Filth. God said, it's my wash, but it's a dirty place. And then the other one had a child and named him Ammon, the enemies of the people of God. Why? Because when you lose a generation, many times they will later become the enemies of the cross of Christ. Let's not do it tonight. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. You've been a patient crowd. You've been a good crowd to preach to. Listen to me tonight. Let's not lose another generation. If the Lord's spoken to your heart, you need to make some decisions. Listen, I won't tell you what decisions to make. You, I know there's some gray hairs in here. You say, I don't have kids anymore. Could you pray for this generation? Could you invest? Could you encourage this generation that's here right now to say, listen, I need, we're going to need these kids around here. And I'm going to invest in them. And I'm going to pray for them. And I'm going to cover them with my prayers. Would you come tonight and say, oh, God, would you help me? Maybe you as a parent, much like me. Listen, I fail so much as a parent, it's ridiculous. And I need God's grace. And maybe you're here tonight and you need God's grace on your parenting. I'm not blaming you. Some of us, we've got kids. Listen, some of the best preachers I know, their kids have made bad decisions. Listen, that's not on you. That's on them. But I want to commit tonight to do everything I can to make sure I don't lose a generation. Would you stand with me all over the room tonight? I wonder if you'd say tonight, Brother Allen, I'm not sure if I'm saved. Would you pray for me? I'm not sure that if I were to die right now, I'd go to heaven. Would you pray for me with our heads bowed and eyes closed? Would you just simply lift your hand so I could pray for you? I won't embarrass you. You say, that's me tonight, Brother Allen. I need to be saved. I need to be saved by the grace of God. If you're already saved, wonderful. That's me, Brother Allen. I need to know Christ as my Savior. Is anybody glad I can pray for tonight before we conclude this service? What about you, Mom and Dad? What are we doing for the next generation? Some of us, even where we stand, how about we commit to being urgent? We've got to do it. Man, it's serious business. Some of you grandma and grandpas, listen, because of the decision that some of your kids have made, that your kids, your grandkids are going to need a godly grandmother. They're going to need a godly grandmother. Listen to me, and a grandpa that loves Jesus. You've got to stay by the stuff. Stay with Abraham. Stay by the things of God. They're going to need you. And listen to me tonight. Let me encourage you parents that have wayward children. Don't Pitch your tent towards Sodom. Stay in the will of God. There is more hope for your wayward children, you doing right, and you committing to God. Listen, don't go join them in Sodom and Gomorrah. You're all going to be destroyed if that happens. Let's not get to the place where we're warning our kids and we seem like one that mocks. Nobody believes us. We're kind of like the the, uh, uh, boy who cried wolf. We just become a joke. Listen, my kids may, may, they may rebel, but they're not going to be able to look at my life and say, well, dad, took, dad acted this way on Sunday, but then he treated us like a dog on Monday. Listen to me tonight. May it not be so among us here tonight. God help us. Maybe you're here tonight and you're a young man and God is tugging on your heart to preach the gospel. Can I invite you tonight to surrender? Just surrender. If God's dealing with you in this generation, listen to me. There has got to be some preachers that rise up. And if they're not going to come from churches like this one right here, where are they going to come from? I can't remember which missionary said it, but he said, not called. He said, I think it's not surrendered. 
Maybe God is calling you tonight. Maybe God is moving upon the heart of some young lady where you say, listen, it's me. Oh, God, I don't want to lose my generation. Listen to me. This is your country. And some of you that don't want to do the will of God, you don't want to serve in a church. If you're not going to serve full time, then help somebody who is serving full time. Some of us, we won't even do that. Okay, God's not called you to ministry. Great, wonderful. How are you helping some pastor? How are you helping some missionary? And some of you just need to surrender to just be a good Christian again. And say, I'm going to get involved. Pastor, what do you need? Church, what do you need? Man, I, I just, I just, I, I love it. But I love coming here and seeing multi-generations of people serving God. I love it. I love when I can see grandpa serving God and son serving God and grandkids now in the church. Listen to me. But we don't want to lose that. We want God to help us. We need his grace. We need his grace to help us not to lose a generation. I'd love to come back here 30 years from now. If God gives me health and grace, I'd love to come back here 30 years from now and see somebody that was led to Christ by somebody that was led to Christ, somebody else leading the choir and somebody else being a youth pastor. But it won't happen if they see us as one that mocks. May God help us.